morning. Ladies, do you ever have those moments where you just have like instant shoe regret? I've got that right now. My feet are killing me. Well, good morning, PFN. Um, I am so glad that you are with us today in person and online. Good morning, good morning. We've got a great crew working alongside Pastor Cheryl at the vendor breakfast this morning, and Pastor uh, Shauna is preaching to the children of the Marigold Festival, and here I am standing in the pulpit. Um, I'm sorry. (laughs) The last time I preached, someone said that I stepped on her toes and that it hurt a little bit, so today I'm going to try harder. Just kidding. I honestly consider it an honor to teach and to preach as God has called me. And today I get to close in the book of Esther. So before we begin, let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask you to come into this place, not just the four walls of this building, but into the deepest depths of our hearts. Would you speak to us Would you speak to me? Would you speak through me? Could people lay fear aside and rise up in courage this morning? Lord, you used a teen girl named Esther to show us how to live and to apply faith today. So we trust that you are in this place, in this place, using us, calling us. We thank you, way maker, promise keeper. You never stop working. We love you, Jesus. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen and amen. So in the book of Esther, we're informed that the name of God is never used, nor is it written in the book. But as we step further into the story, we will see the hand of God, and we will see his fingerprints all around this text. And it's become so evident that we can see that. Uh, We cannot help but to see his unique fingerprints everywhere and everywhere in the book of Esther. And Pastor Brian, he had given us a historical roller coaster ride from Genesis all the way up to Esther with content and context last week. He caught us up in chapter 4. And his finality of his message as he closed was in chapter 4, verses 15, 16, and 17. They're in your notes this morning and also on the screen. So let's read together. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather all together the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days or night, and I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions like a good man he should. This is where Pastor Brian left off, and this is where I pick up on the cliffhanger. So now we're in chapter 5. Three days have passed, and here is this teen girl, approximately the ages between 14 to 17, and she's taking a risk, a major risk for not only her life, but for her people the Jewish community, to stand before the king without permission to have her request made known to him. Remember, in biblical times, this was unheard of, even for a queen. So let's take a look at a lot of scripture today. So we're starting off on the third day of the, fe- of the fast. Esther put on her royal robes and entered the inner court of the palace just across from the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing there in the inner court, he welcomed her and he held out the gold scepter to her. 
So Esther approached and touched the end of the scepter. This indicates that he was allowing her to come forward, and maybe because she was so beautiful and there was favor on her, she was able to speak to him. Verse 3, then the king asked her, what do you want, Queen Esther? What do you want? What do you really, really want? And she says, if it pleases the king, let the king and Haman come today. Somebody say today. Today Today to a banquet that I have prepared for the king. The king turned to his attendants and said, tell Haman to come quickly to a banquet as Esther has requested. So the king and Haman went to Esther's banquet. As they were drinking wine, they obviously were not Nazarenes, the king said to Esther, now tell me what you really want. This is twice. What is your request? And I will give it to you, even if it's half of the kingdom. This is a repeated question from the king. It's kind of like deja vu. Didn't you already say that? He really wants to know what is the queen requesting. And Esther replied, this is my request and my deepest wish. If I have found favor in the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my request and do what I ask, please come with Haman tomorrow. Someone say tomorrow Tomorrow. to the banquet, and I will prepare for you. And then I'll explain what this is all about. It seems like a cat and mouse game. You asked yesterday, now you're asking again today. But she says, come to this banquet, and I'll tell you. Yet she doesn't. She tells him, you know what? Come tomorrow, and then I'll tell you, and you will find out. She ups her ante in her delivery. What is Esther getting at? What is she afraid to ask? What is her request? Is she strategic? What's her angle? Surely she cannot wait another day to reveal the plans of this wicked man, Haman. So this is where we begin to see a seismic shift in Esther, in the book of Esther, because she's now being called out by Mordecai. The ground breaks, and what we will see is not circumstances of luck, but the providential hand of God move in, preventing the annihilation of the Jewish people. The slave girl that was made queen by the standards of a sadistic king and his minion very quickly become divine turnarounds. Isn't that good? If we were to stop here, we would see that King X would continue being whatever he was before in the text. He was lazy, he was a drunken sleazebag. And Haman would get his way in becoming a racist, egomaniac, gaslighting murderer. Yes, I said it. Pastor Brian was right. He was completely right. This is the makings of a good soap opera. The drama unfolds in the next chapter. Remember in the late 90s, uh, the afternoons when you're home sick from school or from work and after watching The Price is Right and a couple episodes of Columbo came the stories. Does anybody remember that? Marlena Evans would be fighting with Hope Brady over her love interest, John Black, while the dramatic music was playing in the back. And then all of a sudden they would cut to commercial. This was always on a Friday afternoon. Remember this? And you would wait for the commercial to end because you're like with your, your drink and your popcorn, like, let's finish the story. And then they would come back and the credits were rolling really fast. And there was an hourglass spinning. Remember that? These are the days of our lives, like sands, right? And then you would have to wait all weekend long 
to find out what happened on Monday, but you were back to work or school, so you never got to find out unless you went to the grocery store and at the checkout lane there was a soap opera digest. Anybody? Anybody? Am I the only one? Okay. As dramatic as that was in the late 90s, the story of this young queen was more dramatic. Esther couldn't wait another day to strategize or to calculate yet another dinner party. The cliffhanger was Esther's people, including her and Mordecai. They were on the chopping block unless someone had the guts to go to the king and tell him what would happen. Who could and would and should have courage like that? Courage. Courage is a choice. Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the grit to act despite the presence of fear. Courage is a choice and a willingness to confront agony and pain and danger, uncertainty, or intimidation. Courage is becoming brave even when your want isn't there. This is the gift of fortitude. What fortitude is, is the ability to face and overcome fear while prioritizing a greater objective, guided by your personal values and commitment to growth and for the greater good of of the people. Esther had these qualities. Mordecai had these qualities. You have these qualities. So there's different kinds of courages. Um, courage. I'm going to share four this morning. They're everyday courage, if you will. Uh, and you will see these play out in the book of Esther. The first one is moral courage. Standing up for what is right in times of human right violations. So when others are treated unfairly and unjustly, we can all... Uh, agree on one thing when we see that there is an injustice in this world that we will we will form a committee and say that is not right and courage rises up in us the next one is intellectual courage so challenging old assumptions and understanding gaining insight in order to keep us from staying status quo Uh, this is an important aspect to have when and maintain when things don't add up so like two plus two is five right do you agree Two plus two is five. No one's arguing with me. Are you not intellectuals? Who wants to disagree with me? Okay, so thank you. Thank you for having intellectual courage. If I told you that the percentage of the people that said no, you're right, they probably learned this in Common Core math. The third is empathetic courage. I'm sorry to the teachers. Empathetic courage. It's recognizing personal bias and intentionally moving away from atmospheres of toxic tailspins. So having a discerning spirit that allows us to kind of, quote, read the room or feel the temperature on someone. That's empathetic courage. Lastly is discipline courage, remaining steadfast, strategic, deliberate in the face of setbacks, challenges, and failures for the outcome of a purposed plan, not just a plan, but a purposeful plan. There is a goal in courage. We need to understand that. You see, there was a destination to achieve for Esther. She had a goal in mind. She had the feat of fortitude and the strong sense of purpose beyond her fear. As believers of Jesus Christ, we must develop the spirit of courage and fortitude with the help of the Holy Spirit. Do you agree with that? 
we must develop this spirit to be morally, um, to be intellectually, empathetically, and disciplined women and men of the valor for God. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Listen, fear will never be removed from a courageous heart. Every time that I get up here to preach, I am scared out of my mind. If you only feel what's inside of me, I am scared. Um, Am I sharing the word of God or just my opinion? Is this landing on someone? Is this a boring message? Am I a good enough communicator to preach God's word or am I too much? Thank you. Or will anybody listen to me because I'm a woman? Listen, God used a donkey. If God can use a donkey, he certainly can use me. I think I'm right above that. I only want to be a herald of the good news for Christ for all. That's all I want to be. And those circumstances takes a lot of courage. It takes courage to stand before a king and to request not to murder people. Esther needed to see and to hear the potential annihilation of her people to act and to act with discernment and with fortitude. So Esther, she had a choice to make. She had two options, fear or rise. Fear, face everything and run. You can fear a lot of things and face it and then you can run. Esther could have ran away from this whole situation and no one would have none the wiser. She could have ran from the danger posed to the Jewish people in the empire, the plot to kill the king being revealed by an unlikely source, the potential of not being trusted about the plot, Mordecai pleading to her to say, hey, go speak to the king, or just plainly being in the presence of the creepy man Haman. And for those reasons, I'm out. Facing all of that, running looks like a pretty good option to me if I was Esther. With that sort of setup, fear to face everything and run, is why we run. There's no way out of this mess, and I must run. We run to bad relationships, to toxic environments, to toxic substances, or we can just stay stuck without hope. And without hope, that is a really scary place to be. Without hope, we fear even more. But fear isn't always a bad thing. Fear sometimes scares us straight. God gives us the ability to fear, to be afraid of things, so that we may sense caution in situations that deem necessary. So not all spiders are bad, but an angry tarantula is, is, it's scary. We have to be aware of when to be courageous and also be aware of our own stupidity. There is a huge difference. Esther was not stupid. She was strategic. She was calculated. But I'm confident she was afraid. The news of Mordecai, the news that Mordecai shared with her scared her straight. And we have to give credit where credit's due. Esther became an easer for her people. But Mordecai was the OG. He was the easer. He had the audacity to have hope. That is today's message, audacious hope. He was the one that had the audacity to give Esther the push that she needed. 
I read an article a couple weeks back, and it was fascinating. The article was on hope. It wasn't biblical uh, literature. In fact, it was really heavy on the study of finding happiness in the times of difficulty, but they alluded to having hope. And the article was shared in 2009 that someone researched that there was three kinds of hope, material hope, the sense of control when the resources to deal with forces that affect your everyday life. So job performance, if I do really, really good, then I would get a raise, right? Take notes, Brian. Uh, the second is Socratic hope. The opportunities to question the unjustly society. So peaceful protests hang out in this category. And the last is audacious hope, which provides opportunities from healing and to healing oppressed people. And then it would transform internally and externally. But then in 2015, they realized that there was more to study in the audacious hope category. They recognize an audacious hope that it expanded concepts of radical healing and it argued that there was new spaces to create new births of possibility. So hope filled veins, if you will, just kind of trickled out and they were relational, restorative, redemptive, and dare I say political hope. These conditions drew attention to thriving communities that created opportunities to see radical healing engaging and accountable relationships that articulated a renewal every time the people gathered. It wasn't based on happiness, but of hopefulness. Happenstance is based on temporary circumstances. That's why it's called happiness. It's short-lived. But we, we are a people of hope, of love, of joy, of grace, that is eternal. Can I get an amen on that one? Amen. Audacious hope is persevering when things are hard in the knowledge that our inner self is being renewed day by day, causing us to look past the immediate present, but to the unseen things that are eternal. That's, eter that's audacious hope. It takes a child, uh, or it takes a child, it takes a village to raise a child. Same with our faith. It takes someone or a church to come alongside on someone's journey to get them to answer the call of God for us, for the church. Is that scary? Absolutely. It is absolutely scary. I would be lying if I said no. Saying yes to God is sometimes the most scariest thing because God doesn't want us to stay comfortable for comfort's sake. You will never hear God in your, you know, in your heart, the deepest depths of your heart, or even in the word that says, you don't need to spiritually grow anymore. No, he's always asking us to grow in grace and of Christ's maturity. God hopes for us. So when we recognize audacious hope in us, we can rise to God's occasion, especially nail-biting situations like Esther. She literally said, if I perish, I perish. When was the last time that you made that declaration statement. Well, if I perish, I perish. And I don't mean like YOLO, you only live once. You're on a rickety roller coaster and you're like, if I perish, I perish, YOLO. This is a declaration of Esther's faith. Remember, this is a unique book written by an unknown author, some say it was Mordecai, of a woman that was courageous to have a hope of redemption for her people. This is where God lives and where God does his best work. 
He lives and does his best work. So speaking of redemption, let's get back to the story. There's tons of reading, so I'm going to go through it really, really quick um, just to save us some time because we've got 10 minutes left. Haman, he leaves the banquet. He's happy as a clam until he sees Mordecai. He's filled with rage, but he tempers himself enough to share the false news with his wife and his friends, and he's boasting about um, his position, that he's the fairest of them all. Not only is he saying that, he's adding, but the queen invited me and the king to a banquet tomorrow again. And their reply is, well, none of that really matters if Mordecai's there. You know what? Here's a good idea. Have him killed before dinner. And so this pleases Haman, so he orders the hit. The same night, the king, he couldn't sleep, so he ordered someone to read him a bedtime story of himself. How narcissistic. And these were called the Chronicles. As someone was reading to the king, the incident of Mordecai is called to his attention. Isn't God good? God literally placed someone there to open up the book to the page. In those records, King X discovers how Mordecai has exposed the plot to assassinate him. And he asks one of his attendants, hey, did we ever recognize him? Did we ever, like, reward him? And the attendant says, no, we didn't. At the same time, Haman arrives in the outer court, and he's setting up something that, would, that was supposed to kill Mordecai to set his own demise. Who's in the outer court, the king inquires. It's Haman. And then they bring him in. The, court, or the king is like, yeah, bring him on in here. And he says to Haman, What should I do to honor a man who truly pleases me? Haman selfishly thinks to himself, who, me? I'll tell you what you should do. If the king wishes to honor me, I mean someone else, he should bring out his royal robes as well as a horse that the king has ridden himself with the royal emblem on it, of course, Then hand over the robes and the horse to the king's most noble official. And then let him see that I, I mean somebody else, is dressed in the king's robes, led through the city square, and have them shout as, you know, as I go by. I mean somebody else, this is what a king does to honor somebody. Excellent, says the king. Quick, take my robes and my horse and do what you have asked for Mordecai, the Jew. You know, the one that sits on the gate, leave nothing out that you have suggested. Isn't God good? He never stops. He never stops working. So Mordecai returns to the palace. Haman goes home furious, and he's talking to his wife and his friends, and they're like, oh, man, that stinks. But listen, if you continue to oppose him, it's going to cost you your own life. So let it go. This is where the providential hand of God is over the story again. We're picking up in chapter 7. This is verse 2. On the second occasion, the king asked this question for the third time. What is it, Queen Esther? What is it that you want? And here it is. Here's the moment we've been waiting for. She replies, if I have found favor in the king, and if if it pleases the king to grant my request, here it is. I ask that my life... And the lives of my people be spared. For my people and I have been sold to those who would kill, slaughter, and annihilate us. If we had merely been sold as slaves, I could remain quiet, for that would be a trivial matter to warrant disturbing the king. 
Esther rises to the occasion, call her calculated, call her courageous, but she's no longer fearful. She's telling the king, listen, if I would be okay just being a slave, our people have experienced it before. We know oppression. We know grief. We know struggle. We were banished from our land. We were taken captive, and we had our freedoms taken from us. But I'm not even going to bother you with that. I want to live. I want my people to live. And I will no longer stand by and watch genocide take place with my people. The king replies, hold up. Who's doing this? And she says, Haman, the wicked man Haman. He's our adversary and our, and our enemy. Haman grows pale and fright before the king, and he goes to try to plead for his life with Esther. In a rage, the king leaves. He's all upset. I don't know why he didn't just kill him right then and there, but he walks out to the palace, and he's grumpy pants out there. He, Haman, instead, is inside, and he's pleading for his life, and he's so dramatic that he falls on a little couch that she was laying on. The king walks in and sees this happening. He thinks that he's, she's, he's trying to get fresh with, with Queen Esther. And he, this sends him into like a lava level mad rager. And then he says this, will he even assault the queen right here in the palace before my very eyes? As soon as the king speaks, his attendants grab Haman, signaling his doom. Then one of the king's eunuchs said, Haman has set up a sharpened pole that stands 75 feet in his own courtyard. He intended to use it to impale Mordecai, the man who saved the king from assassination. Then impale Haman on it, the king ordered. So Haman met his doom by the very thing that he intended for Mordecai. And the anger of the king subsided. In the words of Joseph to his brothers in the book of Genesis... You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, saving of many lives. God has the final word. He will always have the final word. So at this, po at this point, you're thinking, it's Friday afternoon. The credits are going to start rolling, but let's finish this amazing story. Chapter 8. The king gives Haman's property to the queen, and Mordecai is brought before the king, and they explain their relationship. The king takes off his ring that he had given to Haman. He takes it back, and he gives it to Mordecai. Esther appoints Mordecai in the charge of all of Haman's property. Esther goes before the king again, and she begs him to stop the edict that, that Haman had issued against her people. Again, the king held out the gold scepter to her, which means you can come and speak. Then the king says to Mordecai and Esther, I have given Esther the property of Haman. He has been impaled on a pole because he tried to destroy your people. Now go ahead and send a message to the Jews in the king's name, telling them whatever you want and seal it with the king's ring. But remember, whatever has already been written in the king's name and sealed with the signet can never be revoked. The hand of God is moving. So a decree was written just exactly as Mordecai dictated, and it was sent to all the Jews, to the highest officers, the governors, and the nobles of all 127 provinces stretched out from India to Ethiopia. The decree was written in the scripts and languages of all the people of the empire, including all of the Jews. God was not leaving anybody out. The decree was written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's ring, 
And Mordecai sent the dispatchers by swift messengers who rode horses, especially bred for the king's service. The hand of God. He never stops working. Then Mordecai left the, the king's presence wearing the robe of blue and white, the crown of gold, the outer cloak of fine linen and purple. The people of Susa celebrated the decree. The Jews were filled with joy and gladness and were honored everywhere. Every province and city, wherever the king's decree arrived, the Jews rejoiced and had great celebration and declared a public festival and holiday. God's redemptive story prevails in the book of Esther. We see how he alone brought up a young slave girl to rescue her people. She was seasoned for this reason. It was for such a time as this that God stepped in and intervened on behalf of the Jewish, Jewish people solely through a man named Mordecai and Esther. Are you the one? Are you the person that he is looking for today? Are you Mordecai or Esther in your work, in your family, the places that you frequent often visit? Is there a situation that you know of that needs courage and hope and a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Listen, God is not looking for a perfection. God is not looking for your availability. God is not looking at your calendar and saying, oh, yep, you can work me in today. God is looking today at you or someone to say, yes, Lord, use me. I am here. I am unable. I am too old. I am too young. I don't know enough. I'm not capable. God does not mind those things. In fact, he will use those things. He will use your insecurities. God is looking for someone to say all of that, but also, but yet I am willing. I am willing. It takes a willing heart. That is what he's looking for. Now, just because you're like, hmm, I can say all that and get out of this, nice try. God knows the desires of your heart because he placed them there. If you, if, if you had only known, if I had only known 25 years ago what I would be doing today, I would have fell off my bar stool, really, I would have. Sometimes the process of the anointing takes time. Some of us have been anointed and went back to the field to tend the sheep and the goats. Anointing from a true king takes time to purify an outcome. Some of us need to be reminded today that you've always had the favor of God on you. He lavishes over you. He's always had his eye on you. He doesn't say, here's a golden scepter, now you may speak. You have open communication to him. He loves you right where you are, but let me tell you something, he wants more. God doesn't want you to be just a good person. He wants you to rise to the potential that he has created you for. I'm going to say that again. He wants you to rise to the potential that he has created you for, and that will take courage. He wants some of you to break up with shame. Leave it at the door. He wants you to break up with shame and be the courageous woman or, God, or woman or man of God that he's created you to be. He wants you to walk further into the palace, not just stand at the gate. Don't be timid. He wants you to be courageous. Take the further steps inside. But you need to know something. 
the further that you walk into the palace, you may not have the same people with you. That's scary, but that is a reality. Some might need to have their own steps that they need to take. The reality is, is that sometimes we have to do this alone. Billy Graham once said, it is unnatural for Christianity to be popular. Mr. Graham was right. We as believers will not be the most loved, the most revered. Uh, We may be the most despised because what we believe and what we stand for. In fact, Jesus said himself, in this world you will have trouble. Jesus suggests that there's a guarantee, not a possibility of having trouble. But not only will you just have trouble, he says, take heart, for I have overcome the world. Have courage. In a book called Divine uh, Direction by Craig Rochelle, the author, he likens our trust to God like a life preserver. We trust the captain, his or her skills, Uh, We trust the boat, the capacity to carry us until we begin to sink. We don't need to have an expert tell us to grab a life preserver. We don't need to form a committee like which one should we wear? Which one matches our outfit? You put on the life preserver. It's literally in the name. It preserves life. Having Jesus with us in the boat doesn't mean the storms won't come. Having Jesus in the boat with us means the storm will not sink us. The way and the manner we respond to challenges determines the stories that we tell and the stories that others tell of us. Our decisions to trust God in the face of tragedies, uncertainties, and challenges will be the most strengthening decision of our faith that we can make. When we choose to trust God in the face of doubt, our faith is stretched and it's shaped by God. When the boat is filling with water, we can either fear, face everything and run, or we can rise, recognize internal strength exists. The thing that we might be most afraid of will be the most courageous call that we answer from God. I'm going to say that again. The thing that we might be most afraid of will be the most courageous call that we will answer from God. God is doing his part. It is time for us to do our part and to respond to that call. We have found favor in our King Jesus, and there is nothing more that we can do but to respond. Pastor Carolyn led us in a beautiful communion last week, and she spoke of the places of chaos, bitterness, pain, suffering, lack of hope or trust. But we can ask a providential God, God, I want to see you with me in this. God, who do you say I am? Where is this audacious hope for me, God? And he will respond audaciously hopeful, courageous kingdom family of PFN. Isaiah says this, for I hold you by your right hand. I, the Lord, your God, and I say to you, do not be afraid. I am here to help you. God is ever present in our time of need. He is our helper. We don't have to do this alone. It may feel like sometimes, why God? Why is this happening? Where are you, God? But we ought not rely on our feelings because they are fickle, but depend on a reliable God. Press into this audacious hope. Have the audacity to have hope, people. Have the audacity to ask, now what, God? What are we going to do about this? Because I know I'm not alone. You are my helper, 
The same God that spoke to Isaiah is the same God that is speaking to you right now. The same God whose hand was all over the story of Esther and with Mordecai and with Esther and with all the people is the same God that is talking to you right now. The same spirit that was moving across all of creation and formed you in your mother's womb is the same spirit that is alive in you today, right now, and for days to come. Listen, PFN, be a people of audacious hope that will stand up and rise and still be afraid, but have the courage to do so because God is calling you to it. My prayer is that you would be courageous people, not only for today, tomorrow, days to come, but until eternity. Let us pray. Father God, we are so thankful for this story of Esther. We are so thankful for Mordecai and his courage to tell her what to do. Lord, there are Mordecais in this building right now. There's Mordecais around us all the time, and sometimes we need those in our life to tell us, hey girl, hey man, I need you to be courageous in this moment because for such a time as this, you are seasoned for this reason and you need to respond. So Lord, we ask right now for your spirit to invade this place, invade the space, invade our hearts, our minds. Would you speak to us in such a supernatural way that we know that is from you and not from man to rise up and to speak Lord, we don't pray for a bully attitude. We pray for a courageous attitude to do the right thing at the right time, the right place, and with the right people, Lord. Lord, would you rise us up and level us up to the next level? We thank you for how you have spoken today. Um, It is evident that your spirit is in this place. Lord, be with us the rest of of today, the rest of this week. We thank you for all that you have done all that you will do, and we thank you for what you're doing even right now. We love you, Jesus. It's in your holy name that we pray this morning. Amen and amen. Love you, friends. Have a great day.